Heavenly Father, we come again before you and confess this is your word breathed out by you and given to us as your covenant people. And yet, Lord God, we are often so hard of hearing, and so we ask that your gracious spirit would grant us grace this day, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that are ready and willing to receive and believe. And we pray, Lord, that you would magnify your Son in our midst, that the good news of the gospel as it is presented in him would come again to us, Lord, that we would find hope and life in believing. And so we ask grace for your people at this time, the grace for the one who speaks on your behalf, and that your name indeed would be magnified in all the earth. We ask all these things in Christ's name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, as we know, the Apostle John is writing to a church uh, with this splinter group, right? This, it's seceding from the truth, pulling out of the church, uh, denying the incarnation, denying, denying even the need for the Savior. And he's writing, you see, again and again, to reassure his readers that they are on the right side of the truth. Verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. There's nothing quite like reassurance in the face of fear or doubt. And to know that you are accepted, to know that you are loved, and that you can rest assured because of that. It's a great, tr- great and tremendous uh, freedom and peace comes from this truth, this assurance, the knowledge, and this love. It enables us to delight in our relationship with God, and it frees us from, uh, from, from, from feeling that things might not be quite right with Him. Right? So, so as we're armed with this confident assurance, we're better able to serve others uh, in our lives. Yet many believers struggle in their Christian lives without such assurance. Many struggle. They may know their status before God is given to them through Christ, but perhaps inwardly, secretly, they have thoughts that they might be disqualified somehow. Just as assurance leads to freedom and peace, lack of assurance can cripple a believer. Can cripple believers when they are when they have a lack of assurance. It can keep them from comfort and acceptance and can pull them further away from a knowledge, the true knowledge of their God as Father. The Apostle's affirmation is that God is greater than our hearts. He's greater than our hearts. And that's a wonderful source of assurance. And we see in this passage as we'll work through it uh, this morning that because of Christ, because he is the anchor of our hope, our hearts can indeed find peace and assurance. Right? Because Christ is the anchor of our hope, we can't find peace and assurance. Right? So we're going to pick up the flow of what John has been saying in chapter 3. And we see uh, back a few verses what he said about, um, what he has to say about the love of Christ for us, and how we must manifest that love towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? Verse 13, he said, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. It's Christ's love for us that creates the ability for us to be able to love one another. Christ's love for us. It's the love of Christ where we look for reassurance of our troubled hearts. And then in 19, he picks up, By this we shall know that we are the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Right? The this there, this, is the love of Christ. By the love of Christ, it's that by which we reassure our hearts when our hearts are troubling us. Of course, we can't forget that when we love one another, it's a, it's a product of Christ's love for us, um, as he said. Uh, we would not 
have love to anyone. We would have no love for our fellow brother and sister in Christ. Who wants for Christ's love for us in the first place? It's first given to us by grace. Right? So that's what John's, uh, that's what he first points us to, right? The love of Christ. And he says, when your heart troubles you, when you have trouble embracing the forgiveness of Christ offered to you in the gospel, recognize that he has loved you and your ability to love others. These are evidence that Christ has loved you. And John goes on to say that we should reflect upon uh, that when we doubt, we are to rest in Christ's love. Rest in his love. There's an outline in the back of your uh, bulletin. And that's, that's the thing he tells us first here. We are to rest in Christ's love and we're to remember who God is. And who is God? He is greater than our hearts and he is omniscient. Right? He knows all, as he says. He knows everything. Right? Verse 20, from whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. And so if you have doubt and you have troubled conscience, and your conscience is troubled, your hearts are slow and resistant to embrace the forgiveness that comes through the gospel, this is one of the most significant verses that you can turn uh, to. Right? Because how often do we put our consciences in the seat of judgment before us? Right? Our consciences in the seat of judgment. Right? We often make them the judge of our souls, how we feel, what our hearts are convicted of. Right? I feel guilty. Therefore, I must be guilty. Or if we feel innocent, we think, well, we must be innocent. But what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 4? He said, I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Right? So he points away from his own heart's sense to the Lord, who is his true and ultimate judge. And he knows that his lack of awareness of any wrongdoing doesn't necessarily mean that he's innocent of wrongdoing. But Paul points, and John points here, the same, the same thing. God is judge, not our consciences. Sometimes our guilty consciences are right, of course. We sin and it burdens our hearts and our consciences won't let that go. But it's in these cases that we are uh, guilty of sin and we need to repent. There's other times our consciences can be wrong and wrongly accuse us of sin and guilt or wrongly refuse to allow the forgiveness of Christ and his love to free us. Uh, from that guilt. And so what does John say here? He says, God is greater than our heart. He's greater than our heart. It means that it's not our consciences that we have to stand uh, before God. right? It's not our consciences that we have to stand before God. right? But God, we don't stand before our heart's condemnation, our heart's judgment. It's the Lord. It's before God that we must stand and give an account. And then he says, he goes on, he said that God knows everything. Right? He knows our actions. He knows our motives as well. He knows the motives of our hearts. He says, God sees and knows all. We must rest in his judgment and not the judgment of our hearts. Right? If God has poured out his love on us in Christ, Romans 5, 5, through the Spirit, poured his love into our hearts, we must rest in that. We must rest in that love. And sometimes we can allow our feelings and our consciences to so condemn us that we end up keeping ourselves from embracing the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. It ends up, at times, uh, being a sin of disbelief, right? Challenging, refusing what God has said about us who believe in Christ. And so that's why John says, no, that is greater than our troubled hearts. And he goes on to give more about gaining assurance for that troubled heart. He explains that when our hearts do not condemn us, right? Uh, I.e., when we find peace in and through Christ, a number of blessings flow from that. Verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Right? So that's the first blessing that we see here. It's 
The first blessing is confidence before our Father. And this may seem so obvious, right? It's such an obvious point. Like, why are you saying this, Paul? Of course we have confidence before God if our hearts don't condemn us. But it's not quite, not quite that simple. It's not really what John is saying. Right? What has what he been doing throughout all of this letter? All along. He's constantly pointing us to Christ. To Christ, to Christ. Right? In chapter 1, verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or 1 John 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, is a propitiation for our sin. And not ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Earlier in chapter 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. We should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason that the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And so always, brothers and sisters, always the source of our confidence, even our great doubting, our, our great troubled hearts, is always in Christ. It's always in Christ. It's in him that we must look. And when we see and believe this, we have confidence. Confidence flows from that. Remember Paul, he's speaking of all the blessings and the glory of redemption, the fulfillment of the promises of old throughout redemptive history to bring the nations in. And he says in Ephesians 3, 11, all of this was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have bold, boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Right? In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. How glorious is that? Right? How glorious this promise, this declaration, this truth of God's word that he tells. How awesome is that? And then verse 21 of our today it says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we confidence before God. Right? So what he means is that our confidence before God does not rest in the accusations of our hearts or even in our hearts when we don't feel condemnation. No, we rest in Christ and his love for us. It's in Christ alone. How often do we let our hearts dictate to us our guilt or innocence before the throne of God? But again, Paul said, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am therefore not acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. There are times when we may not feel sin, but sin remains. The Lord knows everything. He knows us beyond what we can possibly comprehend, and certainly better than we know ourselves. We may engage in a morbid introspection wisdom, a deep dwelling in the blackness of our own hearts and the stains of sin within us. Maybe it's a particular sin, right? These call them besetting sins in the old-fashioned sense of phrasing it. Maybe in that sin that we're especially bound and broken to and crushed over in our hearts, we may believe that we may never be free from it. Its claws are just too deep inside of me. Its shackles too strong to break. How? How, could, how, Lord, could you ever forgive this? He never saved the likes of me, remember David in Psalm 3. But the truth is, we have no real understanding of the magnitude or myriad of the sins that remain that we're unaware of, uh, that we've not grown, that's been not revealed to us, that we've not grown our sanctification to see. Even sins worse than the ones that 
We're broken by and crushed by. What does God's word tell us here about this? What does it say? It says, look not to your troubled heart. Look not to your conscience. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. And looking to Christ in faith, that is the source of our boldness and confidence through faith in him. As it said in Ephesians. So that's what he said. Right? We have confidence. That's why he said that. That's an awesome thing. It's an amazing thing. And it's everything, really. It's everything. And I pray for all of you that it truly is amazing to you. And then he goes on to say, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. We do what pleases him. Right? So whoever has confidence in the presence of God will approach God in prayer and make known the desires of his heart. If we lack confidence because of condemning heart, we have no confidence or boldness to go before God. But for the one who takes confidence and assurance from Christ, he or she will flee boldly to their Heavenly Father for all of their needs. And he goes on, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. What does he mean by this? Right? This is... Um, it's, it's not difficult to get this wrong. Right? What is he saying? Is it simply a bribe? Right? If I'm good and I'm praying, don't answer. Right? Is, it, is it a gift to get kind of a thing? Like because we obey God's commandments, he'll give us whatever we ask of him. It's certainly not what's going on. It's not what John is saying. That idea is more pagan. It's certainly not biblical. What is it then? What is he saying? Well, of course, we always remember where we are in the context and the flow of the book, right? The book of the Bible, or the chapter, and then the book, then the Testament, then all of Scripture. John's letter has unity. It has unity. He's not saying something new or disconnected from the rest of the letter. It's that you can't say you belong to Christ, that you believe in him for your eternal life, and of a life of sin and darkness, right? He's just not saying before our text this morning, how do you spot a believer, right? What is it that marks you? What is it that identifies you? It's walking in light, not in darkness. Christ's people must walk, must live in truth and live in love. They must live the life, the life their mouths profess. They must live, they must be who they are in Christ. So John's saying only those who look to Christ in faith can truly boldly approach God in prayer. Right? He's early again, told us how we spot the Christian. They're indwelt by Christ. They're the ones producing the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Right? Imperfect to be sure, but it's there. And they're the ones who increasingly love God's will and delight in his way for their lives, not the desires of the flesh. As they put those to death and they come alive and alive ongoingly. And so this is why God will always give us what we ask. Because it's the promise of Christ that's behind what John is saying here. Remember what he said? Remember in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Right? But it's because God changes the will, right? He changes the will to long after, to long for God's will, right? And so John first gives us hope for the troubled heart, anchored, resting in Christ. And he says, therefore, we can approach God with confidence and boldness. And we ask him whatever we desire in prayer. 
because our hearts are aligned more and more with his will. That's what we pray for and long for. Right? Christ-anchored hearts uh, are free to go to God in confidence, right? Christ-anchored hearts are free to go to God in delight and confidence before him. And then lastly, briefly, uh, we see we gain assurance from our troubled hearts by uh, receiving from the Holy Spirit, right? Receiving from the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. And so I mentioned last week, it's called a great reformer's position on assurance. He said, do you believe? Then you are assured. And some of us might think, well, uh, thanks, Galvin. That's great. Uh, that fixes everything in my life, right? Uh, my daddy is gone. Good talk. Um, so glad you're here. But it's not quite that trite. Calvin's not being trite or insensitive. He's telling the truth. He's saying what Scripture says. And God's Word says that if you believe in Christ, you will be saved, right? If you believe in Christ, you will be saved. He's not denying the, the, the fickleness or feebleness of our hearts. It's a call to faith, to believe, to trust. And much more can be said about this. But I'm going to leave you with one thing to think about, right? Something you can cling to and look to and draw from when your heart condemns you. And you feel that you're drifting into disbelief or doubt or drowned by your conscience more than God's declaration about you, you who believe. And that is this, that in these kinds of situations, you must look to God's promises of salvation given in his word. If you want assurance of your salvation, how can a believer be assured of his salvation? Well, he's provided for us means by which we can know, the means of grace, right? We look to the promises of the gospel that's the objective aspect outside of ourselves that is true. Right? St. Timothy says, For I know, who, I know whom I have believed, and I have confidence that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. I know whom I believe, and I have confidence. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 3, blessed, uh, again, a, a most glorious and wonderful passage, right? Listen to what Peter does. 1 Peter 1 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Right? So he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And then verse 4, to an inheritance that is what? Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven. Kept in heaven for you. Right? And then verse 5. <clears throat> He describes to you, who's just kept it down for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What an incredible, incredible thought. You are guarded, you are protected and saved for that which is guarded and undefiling, protected and saved. And then Romans 8, 26 and following. Meditate on this verse, read it. Uh, read chapter 8 of Romans as many times as you can in this following week. It will bless your soul. But Romans 8, 26 and following, he talks, he says, the spirit helps us in our weakness, right? When we are weak, the spirit helps us. That's an objective truth, objective proclamation from his word. His spirit helps us in our weaknesses. It's the declaration of God. We're to believe it. It's true. We're to meditate on it. Praise God for it. 
He chose. He does the choosing. He atoned for our sins. He gave his life for us. He gave us life because of that life. And if he intercedes for us, he gives us assurance. These verses extrapolate all of that. And then in verse 38, listen to what he said. Romans 8, 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. Not even our doubting hearts. Submit to that truth, brothers and sisters. Believe that. Trust it. Do you love him? If you do, you are assured. You are assured. Believe what he says more than you believe your subjective feelings. Assurance comes through the truths of the gospel. Right? And what did Paul say in Ephesians chapter 1? Similarly, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Right? You heard, believed, were sealed. Objective truth. Right? And then there's also this uh, glorious subjective aspect as well. Right? Romans 8, earlier in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption to sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Right? The spirit of sonship of our Heavenly Father. What a glorious, glorious declaration. What a glorious reality. But you see, the one affects the other. Right? These things are true, therefore they will manifest these subjectively in our hearts. John will go on in the next chapter of 1 John. He repeats what he said here in, our, in today's passage. He said in 1 John 4, 13, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Right, And then... The following chapter, John 5, 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Right? You want assurance? Trust what he says. Trust what he tells us in, in his word. Do you believe in Christ? Do you trust in him? These things are written that you may believe in the Son of God, and that you may know that you have eternal life. Our enemies lie to us. Our own flesh lies to us. But John says... For his hearers, and I say for you here this morning, we know that we abide in him because he's given us his spirit. We receive that spirit. We trust in that reality. It's true of you who believe. He wants to assure his readers of their identity. And I want to assure you of your identity. As you believe in Christ, as you've trusted in him, and you've expressed faith in Christ, he is yours and you are his. Again, the way he closes this, this chapter. And this is his commandment, right? What is it? That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever does this, whoever keeps this commandment, abides in God and God in him. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he's given us. That's the chief commandment, brothers and sisters. That's the big one. Right? Believe in Jesus Christ. I pray that you enjoy the blessing of the love of the body of Christ and the love of Christ himself. And I pray that you are loving the brothers as well. You know, when you experience the true and powerful love of God and the love of God's people, it can be truly overwhelming. 
can be more than you can handle at times. The love of God. Why? Why should I be loved by the Savior? Why should He love me? Why should He love you? It's only for His good pleasure and His special love. Nothing in us, only that He desired to do so. And He set His love upon those whom He chose because it was His pleasure to do so. And that should be enough to overwhelm us all and to continually change you and to conform you, to strengthen your assurance. He abides in you and you in Him. This is who you are. His love is the very source and power that makes your love possible. Right? Look to that love, assured of who you are, and enabled to keep this commandment, and to believe in Him, and to love one another. Right? Look to this and believe it. Pour yourselves into that truth, the ultimate truth, and share it with others. Right? The gospel must be our greatest passion. All else is secondary. Christ is everything, all for Christ's sake. And you know, when we bring our hearts, read it in the confidence of Christ's love and redemption and promise to the throne of grace with these struggles. Again, remember what Paul said, remember what Paul said in Philippians. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We can never forget this, brothers and sisters. You never forget this. In the turmoil of the world, in the turmoil of our simple hearts, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. And the peace of God comes alone from the God of peace. I know that in my sin and weakness, in my inappropriate fear and misguided struggles and focus, I'm a disaster. In our lives and in the messes that we make of our lives, They often render us anxious and without hope and without assurance. And to compound things, right, our inner Pharisee knows precisely how and what everyone else is doing wrong. And our sinful reflex is to address that. We're bent towards correcting those things in others. But the truth is we don't have enough attention uh, to spend on on, on our own sin, let alone to be spending it on others. If we're honest with ourselves, it shows just how foolish and feeble we are. Oh, but there is hope. Right? But there is yet hope, dear Christian. Even in our weakness, even in our doubting hearts, even in our lack of peace and our instability, even in it all, Jesus is strong. Jesus is strong. He is powerful to keep us and to guard us and defend us and to watch over us in this life. Right? The Prince of Peace is the provider of peace. And that surpassing peace of God guards our hearts and minds in Jesus. That's amazing. It's awesome. And so brothers and sisters, let us believe these things for our hearts, for our comfort, for our assurance, for our lives. Let us believe and trust and have faith in our King who loves us and died for us, who removed from us that enmity between us and the Father and who gave us his perfect righteousness so that we are forever seen by the Father as perfect his own spotless sons and daughters, because we are clothed in the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. Let us rejoice, brothers and sisters, in our Savior and in his love for us, and let us give thanks in all things. Let us live lives for our Savior, flowing out of hearts made new. Let us be ever emboldened to walk in this dead and dying world with the message of the gospel. 
and our lives and our lives. You know, we have the we have the greatest news in all of history. In all of history, right? There is hope and forgiveness and life for those who entrust themselves upon Christ. This Jesus who offers life and forgiveness and cleansing and renewal and peace forevermore. Right? Shalom. Now go out and tell somebody that truth. Go out and live the reality of who you are. And may our God be praised and glorified in all of his work amongst men. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your work in our lives, for your love and giving us your Son, that we would have life eternal before you. We pray, Lord, helps to maintain faith and trust in your providence, in your sovereign working in this world. Give us the grace to love those who hate and embrace, to embrace uh, in love those who, who we disagree with. Lord, help us to show the love of Jesus to the worst offenders. Lord, we pray for the city, the Fort Wayne, and the surrounding areas. Lord, we pray that you would use providence for the furtherance of the gospel. Lord, we pray to prosper our efforts. Uh, give us boldness and even simple things like telling others of our hope in life or even simply offering to bring others to worship. Lord, we pray to be with us and grow us in depth and in number. Father, do a work in this area. Glorify yourselves by this small outpost here of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we pray for all, for those of us here. Encourage us in the gospel. Dear Lord, use us as your body on earth in that love and encouragement to others. May you grant us throughout this life the comfort of your spirit and the peace that transcends all human understanding. Father, we pray for the children of this church, that you would bless them, and that they would love you, Lord, with all of their hearts. And as they struggle in this life, that the gospel would become all the more real to them, and truly become good news indeed as they embrace it by faith. Even for all of us who are married or single, young or old, help us to have large hearts filled with your love, that we would be so caring and loving one another that the outside would, would see and wonder and be captivated by the love and peace of your people. Father, use us in our lives to bear witness to you. Father, we pray for the, remember this morning especially for the PCA pastor uh, Scruggs and his family. His precious daughter was taken from them, murdered, and the other families whose Loved ones were murdered in this uh, tragedy in Nashville. Grant them your mercy and your grace. Rise your spirit upon them powerfully at this time. Losing a beloved child is beyond most of our ability to fathom. What more awful thing could happen? Yet we know, dear Lord, that your beloved child was murdered at the hands of wickedness. And so we pray, grant them your love. Draw them close to you, Father. We pray for the families as well, affected by this weekend's uh, tornado, Lord. Draw many, if it's your will, by this to yourself, grant faith, the saving of lives, and grant peace and provision for those in need. Dear Lord, give us such an awareness of your mercy and truly thankful hearts that we would show your praise with our lips and our lives, by giving service to you and walking in love and holiness and righteousness all of our days. Lord, we cannot do it on our own. We need your help. 
So help us, Father, we pray. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, praying now even as our Lord has taught us. Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.